0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the Americas dot com. Thank you for listening. Go
1: oh, left, holly, go oh, left. Left, go right, go oh, left. Go oh, left, holly,
0: go oh, left. Left, go right, go oh, left. Ain't no sense in going home. Ain't no sense in going home. Jody's got
1: your girl and go home. Jody's got your girl and go, go left. Okay, well, folks, you know what that means. we got a Jody going, and uh, it's time for one of our military shows. This is uh, Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and we have Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg on, and uh, Phil has been gracious enough to say that he's going to help us remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm in uh, the coming months, and who knows, it may be the coming years. I, nobody knows for sure, but uh, we do... Uh, You're you know, listening it's, it's to America's, America's Web Radio the on the uh, com. Thank you for listening. wow well, that snuck in on me. But we have... Um, a number of shows that we do and uh, on with veterans and talking about veterans and talking about the part that they played in uh, different campaigns and we uh, I, I'm, I've been very concerned over the past couple of years about Desert Storm or Desert Shield and Desert Storm and that uh, I would ask people that weren't in the military, uh, just civilians that uh, you know, I'd ask them uh, what they thought of Desert Shield or Desert Storm, and uh, you know, were they uh, were they pleased with it, and so forth and so on, and what was it all about, and what caused it, and you know, a lot of folks have already forgotten, and uh, I just I found that deplorable, and decided. We'll just give Desert Shield and Desert Storm its own show and uh, make sure everybody remembers it. And it's also a good time to uh, remember all of our veterans and remember all of our active duty folks. And we always recommend that if you're out, you're at a restaurant, you're at the airport, wherever you might be, that and you see somebody in uniform or uh, most... Veterans can smell another veteran out, and I don't mean that realistically, but you know, there's just something about a veteran knowing another veteran. And if there's the opportunity, buy them a cup of coffee or a drink or a meal, whatever the case might be. And that holds true with uh, our fantastic first responders, and uh, we love them all. And we uh, we start out with a Jody, but we also take just a moment. To think about of silence to think about all of our veterans from the past and our future veterans and all of the great americans that have raised their hand and are at, on active duty right now so with that being said we'll we'll bring phil in in just a second but let's just a moment of silence to think about our military and how wonderful it is Thank you, and thank you for your relatives that have served and are serving and our future military, the best in the world. Phil, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you very much, David.
1: Good. And, um, you know, I I don't know about you, but I'm ready for one thing to be over with uh, hopefully tomorrow, and we'll get the results, and uh, we'll go from there. But... uh, (laughs) I really wanted to talk about, uh, well, we obviously talk about Desert Shield and Desert Storm and uh, just just a, a brief update of what you did and, and uh, then we'll get into uh, what we had spoken about a little bit earlier that has our, our other Desert Storm expert, uh, General Richard Dix, away from uh, the studio. So um, just a little bit of background, Phil.
0: <clears throat> um, I was uh, commissioned through the ROTC program uh, in 1982, uh, originally commissioned in the infantry as an infantry officer, and uh, afterwards I went to uh, flight school, flew helicopters, flew uh, Cobra gunships and scouts, and uh, then during, uh, uh, after that I, I went uh, in got into the military intelligence field and uh, switched into fixed-wing flying. And so that's where I was. I was flying the Ob one Mohawk uh, at the time our alert came down for Desert Storm. I was uh, had been in the Army uh, about eight years at that point and uh, was really not expecting it. And we got our alert uh, for actually at the time Desert Shield. And, uh, so I, I deployed there with, uh, a company, the 15th Military Intelligence Battalion, aerial exploitation, uh, that we were part of, uh, Free Corps in Fort Hood at the time, but, uh, they, uh, they actually attached us, our battalion to, uh, the 525 Military Intelligence Brigade out of, uh. Uh, well, out of Fort Bragg it was uh, the brigade for, uh, that supported 18th Airborne Corps so we moved from supporting 3 Corps to supporting 18th Airborne Corps and of course 18th Airborne Corps uh, at that time uh, they deployed with the 82nd Airborne Division the 101st Airborne Division the 24th Infantry Division and uh, I think that was all their Divisions that they brought, plus their uh, separate brigades and the uh, Corps Support Command.
1: Phil, let me let me ask you something. You know we. Uh I remember well, and, and I'm sure you do too, but, you know, the, the obviously uh, the news, as it was back then, better than I think it is today, but back then, uh, you know, everybody in the country, everybody around the world knew that Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait. And did you, as this was breaking, did you not have a feeling that uh, I may be doing something over there?
0: You know uh i can still remember i think it was the 2nd of august when uh in 1990 when saddam invaded kuwait and uh you know so many different things And i first heard about it. i was listening to the radio and uh i heard it and it didn't it didn't occur to me at all that we would do anything about that it was half a world away and uh i did not stop to consider the uh strategic uh ramifications of uh that kind of threat to uh the oil fields and so I just let it go
1: interesting you know i still well i don't i don't lose i don't lose any sleep over it but when i'm talking to someone like yourself or or other vets and uh you know, you have got to wonder. I mean, s- no question, Saddam Hussein had been a tyrant in his own country, but basically was just just that. Saddam Hussein, and, and in some ways, had actually uh, been an ally uh, at one time or the other. And uh, you know, it, it just it, it was shocking that someone would think that. They could invade another country and and he did it I assume strictly on the on the taking over the oil interest and then at the end, when he was burning all of it, I just you know it the guy had at least two screws loose if not more, in my opinion
0: well I don't know what his initial motivation was for uh, for invading however uh You know, I think uh, he probably made a calculation that uh, the United States wasn't willing to come to blows to defend Kuwait, and uh, of course that was a uh, horrible miscalculation. I recall in uh, December of uh, 1990, our Secretary of State, James Baker, making the statement that Saddam had made a series of miscalculations. He advised them to not make any more miscalculations because they would become very, very costly. And, of course, they did.
1: Oh, yeah. And I, I guess, and, and again, because you were an in intel, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, and, and I'm sort of jumping around on you, but uh, I remember... As uh, General Schwartzkopf would describe some of the some of the uh, filming that you all did, or some that we had, some of the video that was taken at one time or the other was was uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm primarily the first real use of the smart bombs.
0: Uh, yeah, I I would guess, uh, yeah. The precision guided munitions. Mm-hmm. I can recall uh, we our aircraft at the time did not have GPS. The GPS satellites had just gone up, and a few folks uh, had some GPS uh, had been given some GPS transceivers. Well, it had not been integrated into our aircraft uh, systems, and so you know I didn't even know how we would use it. Our our navigation was. Uh, it, uh, Gyro stabilized inertial navigation, uh, updated, updated with uh, navigation aids that would uh, that would uh, correct the bias uh, in the system from time to time. But uh, no, uh, smart bombs; those uh, those really made their uh, appearance there in Desert Storm and had a great effect. I can recall. Uh, uh, General. Uh, one of the generals given the briefing uh, showed a video of an Iraqi vehicle making it across the bridge just before it blew up and he made the comment, this is the, the luckiest man in Iraq.
1: Yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> I also remember there was one that uh, literally I believe it was a chimney but you know they showed him going in windows, they showed him going down chimneys and You know, it it was just amazing what what they could do. And then I guess uh, tomahawks were just really coming into play. Um, I'm not a student of bombs, but uh, it it was, you know, there was a feeling that, uh, well, we'll just let the Air Force take care of it or the Navy take care of it, and maybe we won't have to put troops on the ground.
0: Well, uh, you know, of course, that uh, that didn't bear out. And, you, you know, if you're going to take the ground, you got to have somebody to, to physically take it and hold it. You can't hold it with a, a jet that flies over and drops a bomb. You just temporarily annoy people yeah. or reduce their capabilities. But if you want to if you want to hold ground, you got to have what we call boots on the ground, and right. there's a reason we call it that. Um, But uh, the precision-guided munitions were wonderful. And one of the great things about precision-guided munitions, of course, is that they limit uh, fratricide, you know, the unintended...
1: Yeah, um, the peripheral damage.
0: Yeah, collateral damage. Collateral, right. Um, Of course, you know, if you precisely guide it onto friendly troops, you will have fratricide, And, and we did have some of that um it was a challenge it's a challenge it, really any time you go to war uh but uh yeah it's it's very sad when it happens but it was considering uh past uh experiences in in various wars it, uh, it wasn't wasn't too bad you know i mean if it's you it's very personal but <laughs> yeah uh You know, it wasn't as bad as some others, like, for instance, you know, uh, the folks shooting down all our paratrooper airplanes going into Sicily, you know, not good, but that that was some years before Desert Storm.
1: You know, do you feel like um, you were prepared for Desert Shield and Desert Storm? Well, when you shipped out, had you had the training that you felt like, uh, this is all I need to do what I have to do in, in a foreign country?
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, there's a lot of unknowns. And, uh, you know, having your first uh, baptism in fire, you, uh, you're you not really sure how you're going to respond. I can remember as ROTC cadet, uh, we had a master sergeant, uh, a real tough uh, Filipino guy uh, who joined the U.S. Army and fought in Vietnam with the 101st. And you know, he told me, "You don't know." You know, when I was a young cadet, he said, "You don't know how anybody around you is going to respond when you get there." It, you know, it'll it'll really shake you down, and it'll show strengths, it'll show weaknesses, and uh, so. I uh, didn't know. Now, as far as my training, I was—I uh, felt very well trained to fly my aircraft. I felt uh, confident uh, in uh, our leadership. You know, I—I uh, I remember saying to our soldiers, you know, there's only, there's really only three things that a soldier can count on in combat. One is their training. The other is their equipment, and the third is their leadership. And if they have confidence in their training, in their equipment, and their leadership, and not a false confidence, but a, uh, you know, a justifiable confidence in those things, you can, the soldiers can really do their job if they have confidence in those three things.
1: Could I? Could I add a fourth, maybe? Sure. The person on the left, right, and behind you that have your back.
0: Yes. Yes, your comrades, of course.
1: And uh, that that has proven so important over the years. And, and the brotherhood and friendships and relationships that come out of it. Like you said, you, you never know how someone's going to react. Uh, uh, even in training, you don't know how somebody's going to react. And it can be... All the difference in the world, and and make all the difference in the world. But uh, you'd wanted to uh, talk about, and and uh, maybe you can really shed some great light on it. Uh, we are probably the most responsive country in the world. I don't, I can't speak for any other country. I don't know how good or bad the response from China or Russia or any of the. The uh, powerful countries are, but I know that the United States is incredible and and very responsive to any and everything. And but it doesn't just happen. And you've got people that uh, continually, even even like my my son, that's an in Intel, but that are, are working on if this then that, if that then this, and. Uh, we we have people here. How do we get them there? And it's all logistics, and it's all planning to have enough available that we can act and move and and do our thing. What were the logistics like in uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm? Were were we well covered?
0: Yeah, very very well covered. Um, I heard stories. Uh, Talk about strategic planning. I had stories that. Uh, as far back as the days of Richard Nixon, uh, the United States had uh, suggested to the Saudis that they should put large international airports, you know, here, here, and here. And uh, those were actually the, the places we operated from. They were still building the one I was operating out of King Fod. Um But uh, I heard other stories of soldiers that... Got to the theater before I did. Uh, said that they they went to certain places in the in the sand and uh, dusted away the sand and hooked up cranes to these lifting shackles and pulled trucks and all sorts of other equipment out of the sand hmm. um, that had been there away from the prying eyes of uh, intelligence satellites. Um, so I have a great deal of respect for the planners and and. Uh, you know who knows how deep these plans go that never actually uh get executed i, I couldn't tell you but
1: <laughs> the only one i kidded uh, general dix about was the fact that we took uh uh camouflage green trucks into the desert and then i was i happened to be at fort stewart when they would had sent them back and were being repainted but You know, uh, they brought them in from Europe, and and they needed to be camouflaged, uh, green camouflage. And they they sent them to uh, the desert, and they needed to be sand-colored camouflage.
0: Yeah, we did have, uh, I can recall, before we left Fort Hood, we painted all of our vehicles a sand color. And uh, that was quite an undertaking, um, because that was all done with, you know, in-house unit labor.
1: (laughs) <laughs>
0: uh, so uh and we, you know we had quite a few vehicles
1: speaking of, speaking of that and and i had uh, uh i went to fort leonardwood many years ago not not you know i guess 20 years ago maybe 15 years ago and uh was shocked and i i knew about it but i just didn't realize the uh the quantity or the extensiveness of it but in Desert Shield and Desert Storm how much was it how much was contract labor a a factor Um,
0: you know I think it varied from unit to unit Uh, I think we might have had a a couple of tech reps from uh, from some contractors that, uh, worked on our equipment, uh, probably mostly the signals intelligence stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, contractors do quite a bit and, uh, you know, when I first came in the army, you know, soldiers had to pick up all the trash on <laughs> installations and, you know, they had to, you know, they had... Cooks and all this, and you know they they really streamlined it down. Uh, You know Congress holds their feet to the fire on the end strength they can have, and so they wherever they can they they put in contractors or or, you know civil service uh, civilians. But uh, yeah, we uh, in my unit we didn't have much, but in in some of the some of the folks that. You know, had some you know unique equipment or very highly technical stuff. Probably would have been a lot of a lot of contractors.
1: Hmm. Well, you know, in in a lot of cases, though, just like you said, uh, uh, cooks fall under it. And I was amazed too at Leonard Wood, the number of you know I. I say I grew up, but I was accustomed to the MPs, and and yet. at Leonardwood, they had a number of uh, well. The gate guards weren't military; they were contract. And uh, I found that very. I don't know. I. I guess I'm so old and so old school, that I grew up or, or feel like that. Uh, you know, the uh, military should take care of itself, and uh, and even though a lot of the contract people are, are former military. But I still feel like uh, I want my army cook cooking for me.
0: <laughs> well, we did deploy with our cooks, but uh, you know, I, I got to say they probably had it pretty easy there because we had a lot of <clears throat> a lot of our meals were fed out of uh, a contract mess hall uh, that was actually it was uh, the king of Saudi Arabia himself, you know was. He had a mess hall on the airfield, and it was uh, to basically feed his workers that were building his airport, and uh, he just made it available to us. All we had to do was show up and sign in. (laughs) And, uh, of course, you know, there was a big Turk sitting there at the sign-in sheet, and we would go in. We're not sure if he could even read or write any language, let alone English, so (laughs) people would sign in as. You know, Bart Simpson or Saddam Hussein, you know, you see all these names on the the sign-in
1: sheet. (laughs) You know, and we laugh, and I laugh with you on that, that, but, you know, this is the, I would say, one of the, and again, I can't address any other army. I can only address our military, and that only to a degree, but, you know, under the worst of circumstances, the U.S. Army or U.S. military has always carried with it a sense of humor. And I think that's one of the things that have kept folks going since the Revolution. And, uh, you know, we kidded about the, the red coats. We kidded about... You know, we always could find humor in almost any and everything that that we did, and I think that's a a very powerful tool.
0: Yeah, well, you know, uh, there's a lot of boredom in uh, being deployed for a war because it's not a nine-to-five where you go home, but you have a lot of of time where you're not uh, actively engaged in uh, fighting for your life. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of time to read or whatever. And, uh, you know, of course soldiers like to make up, uh, rumors and, and uh, <laughs> of course they, you know, they'll just find ways to amuse themselves. And, yeah, you know, huh. spe- speaking of amusement, I-, I, should say this, uh, David, uh, of course, we were we were a separate battalion, uh, uh, you know, attached to this brigade. We we were nowhere a large enough organization to have a band, but uh, we had a concert over in our battalion area one day that was given to us by the 101st Airborne Division band, the division band. Wow! And I'll tell you what, I can't tell you how greatly that boosted the spirits of folks. Uh, it was just so welcome. And, th- and those folks are so talented, uh, are, you know, military musicians. Just just fantastic morale boost.
1: You know, you've got to give accolades to who thunked that up, you know, and said, you know, why don't we try this and uh, see what happens? And the guy that was thoughtful enough to say, let's do it, you know, he should be given the pat on the head, you know yeah well, there was a commander or whoever it happened to be and uh you know music is a is another great cure for a lot of ills and a lot of boredom and everything else and <laughs> I think that's just uh I think that's that story's beautiful and um uh, you know it's uh, like I said earlier it and that was a part of it is them covering your back in their own way with the uh, trumpet or with the whatever you know the band it it was covering your back to boost your morale
0: well they they certainly had a a, a combat mission that the band was as i was told was uh, assigned to uh guard the division operations center or talk as we call it and uh that was that was the you know non-musical function of the band and well, I don't think anybody got ever got into any of our division talks.
1: So.
0: <laughs> well, what, what's, they the, a fantastic job.
1: what's the old saying once you've gone through uh, basic and, and AIT or whatever? It doesn't matter what your MOS is. Everybody's MOS is the same. You're a foot soldier. Yeah. You
0: know? Well, I mean, there's a certain amount of that. And, you know,
1: uh, You may be assigned to this or assigned to that or your MOS may change, but the bottom line is always you were trained in basic and whatever your specialty was, you're still trained in basic to be a soldier.
0: Yeah, and, you you know, there's a reason that they trained you how to use that weapon. Yes, sir. It's, uh, you know, it's not just for uh, they thought you would be on the army marksmanship unit or
1: something I mean. <laughs> you know we've we've uh, talked to a number of others by the way i want to take a quick break here and just uh, mention the fact that uh, uh our good friend colonel white uh, who's the director of the georgia military veterans hall of fame uh i talked to, uh, to rick today as a matter of fact in uh You know, we still don't have a date. They've had to postpone, because of Georgia rules and laws or regulations or whatever, they've had to postpone the November 7th um, induction ceremony that was to be held, as as usual, in uh, Columbus, Georgia. And it was to be on November the 7th, but they've had to postpone it, and as soon as As the colonel said, as soon as we have a date, we'll start announcing that date for uh, the next induction into the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And uh, as Rick says, bring your own box of Kleenex. And, uh, you know, uh, it'll be my first and the first time to go, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, one of the reasons that they can't have it is... uh, they can't serve food. And the farmer, former inductees all say, you know, you got to do it just like when you did ours, just like when you did so-and-so. And, and they all want it to be like it was. And so, you know, you have to respect their wishes as well as do a heck of a job for the uh, folks that are going to be inducted. And uh, we have... <sighs> so many heroes in uh, Georgia that will say oh shucks I didn't do anything and yet they're exactly the ones that we were just talking about Phil the guy that was trained on a weapon and when push came to panic or when push came in period they picked up that weapon and fought just as bravely as anybody else which uh, let me ask too and and this is some, something I, I Many years ago, and uh, a lot of people can't appreciate, yes, I was young one time, but uh, many years ago I I thought of the conscientious objector as just nothing but poor cowardness in in advanced form. And yet today I have a total respect for the conscientious objector that went into war, be it Vietnam. Did you all have very many in uh, Desert Storm and Desert Shield?
0: Um, you know what we uh, of course we were all volunteer force uh, and <clears throat> uh, of course there was there was the one fellow I think I told you about from our unit he was just a sheet metal repair guy and he uh, th- elected not to show up for our movement date he wound up uh, spending about 8 years at Fort Leavenworth for that but uh, no, I mean conscience object. I I did hear of one doctor, I believe it was from the Army Reserve, who you know claimed he wasn't going to go because he objected to the whole thing or whatever. And uh, I think uh, I think he suffered some. Uh, Pretty severe consequences as well, because you know you you mean you take a check for showing up at drill uh, year after year, and then when it comes down to you know we need you to you know we, we need you to do what we're paying you for, uh, you don't show up well then um, you know it's it's pretty significant. So, yeah. uh, but we didn't have you know conscientious objectives I think are the folks that either register ahead of time you know with selective service or whatever you know when you talk about uh conscientious objectors I think about uh um that movie uh Hacksaw Ridge um and if I would say if you hadn't seen it whew what a fantastic movie that was um about a fellow who Never wanted to pick up a rifle, but uh, just uh, was was willing to go to serve his country and uh, did a fantastic job. Uh, Alvin York, famous Sergeant York from mm-hmm. Tennessee, he was also a pacifist, but uh, I think something clicked in him during the Great War, and he uh, kind of set that aside.
1: Okay, let's get back to logistics. Um in your mind, what do you think uh, if there was a most important thing? "Quote unquote" would be the would be the term that you would uh, attach to logistics. Uh, is it parts? Is it aircraft? Is it uh, supplies, food? What would you think would be the? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> all of the above, huh?
0: Well, I mean, you know, the the system's not going to work if you don't have all those things. You know, I mean of course food and water uh, and medical you know are are the big things to start with but then fuel and uh, and then uh, of course repair parts ammunition you know it's all it, it's all in there and you know logisticians they don't get enough credit for what they make happen uh, I you know I came away from my time in the desert being very, very uh, thankful and impressed with, uh, with what the, uh, the logisticians did. And, uh, yeah. those are my heroes.
1: I, I guess in some ways that, that follows with there's always got to be somebody behind the scene to support the ones in the scene. Yeah. And, uh... And, and
0: you know, uh, But on that note, also, um, family, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Military families are extremely important. Uh, Of course, they...
1: Okay, that brings...
0: ...themselves, they they remind the troops what they're fighting for.
1: With that being brought up, and uh, again, I... I can't address it because I wasn't there, but... uh, with just what you brought up, just in, and we certainly have always supported the the families that the husband or the wife uh, have left the family behind while they go to do their thing in the military. But with that being said, do you think the uh, our incredible electronics help or hurt today? Uh, you know, I. I can see myself in a in a situation where I'm able to talk to my family for you know however long it is five minutes ten minutes an hour whatever it happens to be and then hanging up and and in some ways maybe more depression than if I didn't hadn't talked to them at all but uh, how do you feel with our uh, modern electronics and being able not only to talk to them, but be able to see them and wave and you know Uh you can't hug and kiss but you can come very close to it almost
0: well you know i would i don't know uh it's hard for me to imagine you know what it would be like uh today uh when we were there we had uh, we had CNN on a big screen TV in our talk or what we thought was a big screen TV back then (laughs) uh, bigger than 19 inches Um, and uh, we uh, we thought that was pretty high speed Uh, I received my first email ever uh, in in uh, Saudi Arabia in Desert Storm or Desert Shield maybe was from my brother uh, who worked for IBM at the time and they had uh, a system they were starting out with uh, this digital communications it was called Prodigy I don't know if anybody remembers that
1: I remember the name, yeah
0: but he sent this email and it went somewhere in theater and somebody at some place with a computer printed it off and the piece of paper got delivered to me. So that's how I received my very first email in my life.
1: Wow. <laughs> so, again, do you think it helps uh, with the instant communications that we have today to, to uh, be able to talk to your family and see them, and, or do you think that could hurt?
0: Well, you know, the, uh, some of both, right? It uh, takes a lot of, uh, it takes, a lot of the ambiguity out you know you don't have to uh, try to uh, imagine uh, what's going on where your loved one is it, you know they can contact you right away but on the other hand you know uh, you can share tragedy very quickly too so mm-hmm. and there's plenty of that And
1: you know, I've thought many times that my dad served in uh, the Navy in World War II and um, you know he kept all my mother's letters as she did, she kept his. But, you know, they, they would be not weeks, it would be sometimes months between not her writing or him writing. It just took that long to get to where it was going. Sort of like our post office today. No, I didn't say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, no, but during World War II, it could take two weeks, three weeks, a month, a month. However long it took, it took.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that. My dad served in the Navy during World War II as well. I guess he probably knew your dad. Cause <laughs>
1: then
0: he was in the Pacific, so
1: yeah, so was mine. Many
0: folks, but uh, my dad was a uh, was he was a sonarman on a Fletcher class destroyer, but he uh, he was also the ship's mail clerk, hmm. and so uh, he went ashore anytime. They pulled into one of those little islands over there, and he would go ashore every day. And, of course, Liberty was given out, you know, one, one side of the ship. The port side would have Liberty one day and the starboard another day. And he said uh, he was leaving the ship one day, and his, uh, the ship's exec, who was not very popular, <laughs> said to him, Hey, Forsberg, you know, you went ashore yesterday. Uh, you can't have leave two days in a row, or liberty two days in a row. And my dad said, "You don't want your mail, sir."
1: <laughs> so he said, "Go ahead." I bet he did. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, stories like those that, uh, and one reason we we do this show, we do a veteran's story and. And then we do David's pick and and we're always talking to veterans and the stories that you know, unless you've been there and done that, you just the stories are just great. And just what you said, I, is I you know, I could almost picture, and I don't I wouldn't know your dad if he walked in the door, but uh, I can picture that scene happening and how fast the XO could change his mind. <laughs> yeah. S- Sorry I slowed you down.
0: <laughs> That's right. And, of course, there were probably a whole bunch of other sailors there, you know, observing the whole thing. And, you know, what's he going to say? Out of spite, he's not going to let them go? Yeah. Those guys don't get their mail? And if you don't pick it up here at Guam or in a we talk you know, when's it ever going to catch up with you?
1: Uh, well... I uh, One of the things that I try to do or we try to do on, on all of the shows, most if not all, uh, one is just what you mentioned earlier, is the support of the families are just incredible. But beyond that is that I, I think probably more than any other war, I, I <clears throat> was, you know, World War II has been... There are movies that made it look somewhat glamorous, or but there's there ain't nothing nice about war. I don't care where it is, who's fighting it, or what kind of fight it is. There's nothing beautiful about it. It's um, it can cause some things that wind up being beautiful, a relationship, a friendship, or whatever. But you know, your best buddy being shot and or whatever the circumstance there's nothing romantic or or beautiful about war war as somebody has said war is hell and it is and uh, I, I'm very fortunate I don't want to mislead anybody that I'd never served in country but I can I can only imagine what some of my friends and uh, what you went through and, and others went through the only thing you and I have in common is that 11 bush uh, Eleven Bravo, and uh, we we both we both went through the same AIT. I, must, I assume.
0: Well, but also we also live in the greatest country uh, on, on the planet. Yes, sir. And uh, it was uh, it it remains that way in large part because of our uh, willingness to protect it, and also uh, the men
1: and women who are willing to enforce that. Yes, sir. With that being and, said, I, we need to take one more break before the end of the show, and, and again, want to mention the fact that if you haven't been to it, please put it on your list to take you, your husband, your family, whatever, whoever relatives are, if you're coming to Atlanta, please take in the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame and it is, it is so impressive to walk through, and it's in the Floyd building right across the street from the Capitol. And it's just so impressive, and you'll learn so much uh, of, about real, true heroes. And the greatest generation, and, and many others. Uh, it goes back, uh, in fact, uh, Phil, do you know how far back it goes?
0: Oh. I I have not been there yet. Oh, okay. I, I, it's on my list to go there. I,
1: I've got to I've got to ask Rick. I I, I should know. I know it goes back to the Civil War, or at least I'm pretty sure it does. And um, the other thing is the uh, Healing Wall, which is in Johns Creek, where I happen to live. But it's at Newtown Park, and it's a replica of the Vietnam Veteran Wall in Washington D.C. And this is the 50 percent uh, wall size wall that traveled all over the United States, and the stories, and they call it the Healing Wall or the Wall that heals, either way, but it it is incredible, and um, the stories that have come out of it from people uh, that. You know, they didn't know what happened to their friend, their father, their mother, or whatever the circumstance might be, and it is it is literally closure and ability to close what happened many, many, many years ago. And I really hope that some of the politicians that I've heard talking will help with our educational system that will explain more about why we went to any war and what was given up and, and the sacrifices just like you said Phil of the families um, I know when Desert Shield broke out that was probably one of the first engagements that the reserves were called up to fill many positions, and uh, I, I went on the air. We were we were uh, we had just started out, and I went on the air begging people to, if they had a reservist, a national guard or army reserve person in their neighborhood, to think of their wives the husbands that are gone and can't change a light bulb or can't fix the door or can't mow the lawn even, to take care of those people that were next to you that were left behind. And I still feel that way. If you've got a reservist or someone that's called to active duty, take care of their family. It'll mean more to you than it will to the the family. You'll be so proud of yourself, you can't stand it. Am I wrong?
0: No, not at all. Um, when I know someone's deploying I always make sure that uh, you know the, 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 their family has my phone number and uh, I offer whatever they need you give me a call and I'll help and, that's uh, great I would like to make one plug um, David is uh, on that note and that's for uh, those who served and their families um, if you're a veteran and you are not getting what uh, you think you're entitled to uh, or you don't know what you're entitled to from the Veterans Administration Um, I would implore you to contact your local chapter of Disabled American Veterans and ask to speak to a service officer and they will never charge you a nickel for what they do and they will explain all the horrible bureaucracy of the VA to you, and they will help you get your claims filed or the benefits that you're looking for. So uh, that's just a topic that's very near and dear to my heart.
1: You know, i tell you what I'm going to do, Phil. I'm going to challenge you, okay? All right. That I've got your telephone number, obviously, and I'm going to call. We're going to set up a day and a time that I want you to do a promo about just what you said so we can play it and keep reminding veterans that there is somebody out there that is willing to stand behind them and let them know and how they get a hold of them it there is you know uh we've got to take care of our veterans and so i want you to uh, i'm going to challenge you to do a spot and and uh So we can play it on the air. And in fact, I'm going to play one right quick about Operation Santa. Are you familiar with that? Vaguely. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're going to play that right quick and then come back with Phil and, and talk some more about Desert Shield about five or 10 minutes worth. Hang on. We'll be right back after this. This is Jim Davis with Operation Santa. Each year, we purchase Christmas gifts for all of the children of all Georgia's servicemen and women who are deployed overseas during the holidays. Our annual fundraising event, the Freedom Fighters Open Golf Tournament, is being held on Friday, November 6th at the Bridge Mill Golf Club in Canton, Georgia. I would like to personally invite you to join us in raising money to support Georgia's troops and their families. For more information and to register a team, go to operationsanta.org. And uh me an E five keep after a lieutenant colonel, you gotta be kidding. Well I mean we we support you but you know, I mean we can't do everything for you, you know. No I'm kidding. I'd I'd love to and look forward to uh being able to uh put that on our air. And we've got and I, I ask any of the veterans who are listening, whether they're listening live or on a podcast or whatever however you happen to listen to the show that i would ask that you pass our name on we have had such great great veterans on i mean phil eh, phil's the best obviously that's only because you're on the air right now but no we've we've had just super super guests on i was telling uh, colonel white in fact just today when i was talking to him i and, and he helps line up most of our guests. But I I was a, a bit, I don't know, leery, concerned, you know, about who he might get to be on with me. But they, everybody, every vet that has called in or been, come in has just been absolutely fantastic. And I'm so proud of of this show and david's pick that i do on thursday mornings that that are veterans and um you know i i have just been very very blessed and rick white is part of the reason he's a fantastic gentleman um mark mazell or mike mazell i'm sorry michael uh at in uh John's Creek that uh, he was uh, head of and is president of the uh, Veterans Association and got the Vietnam Wall uh, he was a instigator and and pusher of getting the wall put into uh, Newtown Park in, in John's Creek and I also want to mention I don't know him well but I also want to mention that Peachtree Corners has quite a memorial too and um uh, I've, I've had their leader on, but uh, we've never met, and uh, I'm going to keep pushing them until we get it. But, Phil, you don't have to worry about me bothering you. I, I was company clerk at, at one of my <laughs> units, and uh, you know what those guys do. So yeah, um, it won't be a problem hollering at you and, and forcing you to do a promo for us. And it's so important because, you know, I would say, if if anything, a lot of veterans really have no idea, and I, I wish they would do television commercials about that. If you're a veteran, look into all of the possibilities you have. They do it now for some of the medical and some of the things, but uh, there's so so many things that... Or just washed away, or or not. I wouldn't say they're they're not hidden. They just don't know, and we've got our job. Your job is to inform them that there are people out there with, able and willing to help. And this goes from everything from medical to and you you and I talked about this to internment, and you know none of us are going to get out of this alive. So might as well make the plans. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, the, the benefits are, are your medical benefits, your uh, health care, uh, uh, disability, uh, uh, home loans, uh, education, uh, vocational rehabilitation. Uh, there's so many uh, things, and of course, the last thing is, uh, is internment, but also then... There's, uh, you know, things for dependents as well after you're gone. It's very important for folks uh, that have served to, to be familiar with the, the benefits that are available to them.
1: And and it's not just only, and I know you would mentioned disabled veterans, but it's, it's not just disabled veterans, it's every veteran. Of course. And uh, they're even extending some of the benefits now to uh, reservists which you know uh, I personally think it's time that they did but you know uh, there's two sides of that coin too but uh, you know the one thing we all have in common is that we raised our right hand
0: yeah and you know these benefits are not just available to the disabled and not just available to the combat veterans and and, uh, you know these are benefits that were put in place by our nation in our public laws um, and part of it is to make service uh, more appealing to folks so uh, when you when you have a success story about the benefits you're getting from the VA it uh, it uh, it helps in in recruiting and retention
1: Oh yeah. And I I uh, <clears throat> as as I always mention my son that's a uh, major in the Air Force uh, and he's going to career it because it is so different from when I was in that uh you know he's it's a job. It, it, it's plain and simple. It's a job with a uniform and uh he he loves what he's doing. He loves The folks that he works with, and uh, he just bought it. He and his wife just bought their first home, and outside of Shaw Air Force Base, and you know, it, it it has turned into, I'd say, more than just a competitive job. And there's so many opportunities in the military. Oh, you know, everything from playing on a boat to driving a big truck. Whatever you want to do, it's available. And working with computers and whatever is your thing, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, they have a place for you. And you get to choose it for the most part. So if you're graduating from high school or you've got a grandson or granddaughter that's graduating from high school or college, be sure they look at One, if not all, branches of the military. Because I I would literally bet, and back me up on this, Phil, that they can find something of total interest to them, whether they're underwater divers or they love scuba diving or whatever they like. It's their farm. Yeah. Even music. Even music. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, and, you know, what a thrill to be... Like you said, the the band from the 101st, uh, just, you know, to have a uniform on, a military uniform on, and be able to, to uh, do what you love, which is music, I can't think of anything better. And they work their butts off. I, that I know for a fact. The musician, they train as much as the as the rifleman does or anybody else does. So, have I bored you to death, Phil? Or will you Not come back? <laughs> Not, Not today.
0: today. Let's try again another time.
1: Well, I think we're going to try again next week, aren't we? Yeah. And we'll come up with some more colorful information that people probably have no clue about, but after they get through listening to that this show, they'll know all about it. And... Uh, With that being said, Phil, thank you again for today, and uh, I look forward to talking to you next week. All right. My pleasure, David. Take care. Have a good weekend. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.